After three, I'd like you all to say the name that appears on the screen behind me. One, two, three. I just wanted to hear around 200 people say Zerubbabel all at once. That's, that's all it was. That's who we're studying today, Zerubbabel. It's the last in the series of the uh, genealogy of Jesus that we've been studying. It's also, interestingly, the last person in the genealogy that we know anything about before we reach Joseph, Jesus' father. So he comes at the, uh, towards the end of the genealogy and roughly about the point that if you're trying to read the Bible cover to cover, you've stopped. So a lot of you won't know who he is. Um, and so we're going to get stuck into who's Zerubbabel is today and, and as we've been doing with all the genealogy we're going to see how he pointed to Jesus how this person from uh, the history of the people of God pointed towards Jesus and what we can learn uh, from Zerubbabel's life uh, and, and how it's relevant to us today and we get some hints of Zerubbabel in uh, the Minor Prophets. Uh, the Minor Prophets are just called that because they're shorter books. Uh, there's nothing minor about what God was saying through them. Um, and in Zechariah 4, verses 7 to 10, we see a reference to this guy. It says, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Now, out of context, that might not make much sense to us yet. So you're probably still wondering who is Zerubbabel. I asked what a plumb line was. Our ex-civil engineer, Dan Hudson, told me that it's a way of making sure walls are straight. We see something about foundations of the house bringing forward the top stone. And we get a sense that Zerubbabel was a builder. But with all of the prophets, in order to understand what's being said, we need to go back to the history to see where they turn up in the narrative of the people of Israel. And in the book of Ezra, we find him. He's the, he's, he's the, the main character in the first half of the book of Ezra. Uh, and essentially what happened was, uh, the people of Israel were in exile. They'd been, they'd been banished, they'd been taken out of their land by the Babylonians. But then a Persian king had come along, taken over Babylon, and he'd decided that the way to keep peace in his huge Persian empire, this guy called Cyrus, was to let people worship their own gods, to return to their own lands. And so he sent a group of Israelites, Israelites back to Jerusalem and said, rebuild the temple. Uh, worship your own God again. So Cyrus had his, his, his political aim of keeping peace in the empire and God used it to restore worship to Israel. And the person he used was Zerubbabel, who was a, a descendant of one of the last kings of Judah. He was this builder. His mission was to build the temple in Jerusalem, to restore worship to the people of God. And just a quick reminder of why the temple is important. It's, it's not just a, an interesting building. It's, it's the defining building of the people of God because it's where the presence of God lived. And the people of God throughout the Bible are defined by the presence of God. The people of God are defined by the presence of God. And so um, this was Zerubbabel's task. And I think we can learn a lot from, from him, how he approached it, the challenges he faced, uh, and, and how he rose to those challenges. And I think we'll find that actually his context, although it was 
thousands of years ago in a totally different place. As actually, we can draw a lot from his experiences as we try and build his kingdom here today. And so my main challenge to you is that God is building his kingdom. Are you on board? So we're going to look at three traps uh, that we can fall into as kingdom builders, things that will stop us from building the kingdom. And we're going to look at three encouragements uh, that we can draw from the story of Zerubbabel that should utterly obliterate those traps, that, that uh, uh, op- uh, opposition that he faced when he was building the temple. So, opposition one, nostalgia. So, the foundations of the temple have been laid. Work is underway. Things are happening at last. And it says, all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping. Zerubbabel's first bit of opposition was his own people, the people of God who were saying, it's not like it used to be. Now, in a sense, they were right. This temple actually wasn't going to be the same because this temple was more a symbolic way to anticipate Jesus. Jesus was the end of this story. So in a way, they were right. But the fact is, God was using Zerubbabel at this point. God had a plan. We read through the prophets, that uh, Haggai and Zechariah, who were speaking to Zerubbabel, that God was using Zerubbabel mightily. And these people who are like, well, it's not what it used to be, were too blind to see that God was at work. So that's why I think nostalgia was actually uh, something that, that tried to stop the work of kingdom building. Now, what are you nostalgic about? I, I had to think about this. I'm nostalgic about the social media platform Vine. Um, I, I miss it quite a lot. I'm nostalgic about the Nintendo GameCube. I'm nostalgic about my home village where I grew up, Ellerton. Um, that is actually my old house there facing the pond. And I'm nostalgic about Gordon Brown. Um, what are you nostalgic about? Uh, are you nostalgic about Bananarama or Disney movies or, I don't know, Dame Vera Lynn? I, I, I don't know how old you are. What are you nostalgic about? But the thing is, I think nostalgia creeps into our faith as well. So like, who here remembers the Toronto blessing? Anyone? Yeah, yeah, we've got some people here. Bit older still, who here remembers the charismatic renewal in the UK in the 70s? Anyone? A few of you. Yeah? We can be, spirit, uh, we can be nostalgic about worship music. Uh, you know, oh, do you remember the songs of the 90s? And we can be nostalgic about our, our own walk with God. Oh, I remember the time when I was on fire for God. I remember those days. I think there are two reasons why nostalgia can, can stop our progress in, in kingdom building. Firstly, it's, it's an excluding thing. So when I was referencing the Toronto blessing and the charismatic renewal, new Christians in the room or people who aren't Christians had no idea what I was talking about. And, and actually, it's more important to think, what's God doing today? Because that's what they're most interested in. 
And I think nostalgia can stop us from giving our whole heart to what God is doing today because we're too stuck in the past. It's like, oh, church isn't what it used to be. Do you remember when Kings was just 100 people and we knew everyone? God is building his church here. God is building King's church. And we don't want to be wallowing in the past. We want to be a part of what God is doing now. I'm all for learning from the past. I love history. Uh, I think we should study uh, moments of renewal in the past to see what God was doing. But it's not just to enjoy those happy memories. It's to take those principles and apply them to the kingdom building work of God today. Opposition two. Discouragement over time. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah to make them afraid to build, and they bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. What that verse doesn't quite convey is that there were two kings in between Cyrus and Darius, and that this was 23 years from the proclamation to the completion. And in that time, there was lots of uh, frustration from the enemies of the people of God who were wanting to stop this from happening. I don't know if you can think about any infrastructure problems that have taken a long time. I, I, I don't know, I can't. But as I said before, this is so much more than infrastructure. This is about restoring worship to the people of God. This is a commission from God to his people to build this temple. And for 23 years, there were people uh, working against them, undermining them at every opportunity. That's hard. That's difficult. How do you keep faith going when you're 15 years in and you're still not any closer to seeing the temple being built? There was a king, um, one of the kings in the middle, who actually decreed, work has to stop on this. Does this sound familiar to you? There's a proverb that's always rung true with me that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's so true. Do you have deferred hope today? Have you been given a promise of God and that you just haven't seen it come to fruition? It's difficult. It's difficult to keep faith in those moments. Heart sickness is, is real. It's human. It's something we all experience. As I was preparing this, um, I felt a prophetic sense of God wanting to speak to people who are sitting on long-held promises of God that they yet see fulfilled. And I felt like God was saying, today, he, he's calling you to renew your trust in him, to make preparations for the thing he's called you to do. I'm afraid he didn't tell me that your time of waiting is almost over. For some of you it might be, for some of you it might not be. He simply asked for your trust in him, that he will guide you along the right paths. It's so easy to get discouraged when things don't work to our timescales. That's natural, that's human. Can I encourage you today, if you're waiting for a promise of God to be fulfilled, perhaps he said, do you know what? I want to use you for healing. And you've not seen it happen. Share that dream with someone, uh, another follower of Jesus. Tell them about the promise. 
and ask them to join you in prayer for this and pray for strength and wisdom to know how to keep pursuing the purposes of God even in a time of waiting. The third form of opposition, political status. I want us to think about what it was like for the Israelites because for them, in the, uh, in the middle of these two kings, they had one called Artaxerxes who made a decree that these men be made to cease and then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. They were told it's illegal. You can't do this anymore. And just think about what this was like for them. Because actually, while they were in exile, they'd received a promise through the prophet Ezekiel that says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And there's all of these promises about being fruitful and, and the land bringing forth fruit and them being back to how it was. Was this that? They had this proclamation from Cyrus and then all of a sudden they've got another king telling them, no, you can't do this. Where were they at? What, what was their status? It turned out they weren't starting their nation once more. They were still under the leadership of Persia. This must have been a confusing and frustrating time. Some people being like, this is the return from exile that was promised. And others being like, but we are still ruled by pagan rulers. The answer was no, the fulfillment would come later. The reality for the people of Israel at this point is that they had diminished influence over how they were governed. They had laws and rulers that did not share their faith. And they had confusion about what was next for their nation. Does that sound familiar to you? We live in a chaotic time. I love that things were brought today about in chaos, putting trust in God. Um, There are two types of power generally. You've got hard power, which is like political power. You know, you have the power to make laws, to decide the governance of the nation. And you have the soft power, which is like culture, who's controlling the cultural conversation. And right now, I feel like as Christians, we have neither. And, and it's easy to just be like, well, there's not much we can do about that. To look at the chaos of the world around us, political chaos, cultural chaos, and just see a world of confusion and anxiety and despair and just think, this is too much. There was a time when Christians were actually one of the dominant voices in this country. That is not where we're at at the moment. And I'm not saying that to strike fear into your heart. It's just a, once we have a right sense of the reality of where we're at, actually it should spur us into action because a lack of hard or soft power is not reason enough to do what God has called you to do. If anything, it's more reason. And when we come to the encouragements, I'll explain that a bit more. But I just want to say that any influence that Christians have over the state of a nation or over the culture is a privilege that sometimes God God grants us. It's not actually our right. Sometimes God will take the church out of a place of influence and status for reasons that ultimately will glorify him and to help build his kingdom. And I just think we need to have a perspective of looking at everything and thinking, okay, God, what are you doing? 
Can I give you a, a personal tip from my life to help with this? Um, make drastic decisions about your social media intake. Uh, Josh Oldfield, one of the members here, uh, was doing a 10-minute sermon once, and he just said this line that stuck with me. He said, we obsess about what we feed our bodies with, and we don't think at all about what we feed our minds with. And I, at that moment, God said, Twitter to me. <laughs> And I realized I was scrolling every day through a constant stream of despair and hopelessness coupled with anger. It was like anger on one hand and impotence on the other hand. And I realized it was changing my tone. It was changing my outlook. I was becoming a more bitter person. Now, I'm not saying don't engage with these things. Absolutely, I, I long for a day when Christians are back in politics and Christians are back in culture. And I, I think we should work towards those things. So, so do be engaged. But God has a perspective of this chaos that we'll never be able to see if the loudest voices in our mind are ones of bitterness, complaint, and despair. Make sure you feed yourself with more than that. It's, it's changed my outlook entirely. So those are three forms of opposition. And if I was to end the sermon now, it'd be a bit of a downer. But we have so much encouragement to draw from this story. And ultimately, the temple was built. And that temple was the temple that Jesus ended up worshipping in. The odds seemed stacked against the rubber bell but we can draw three encouragements. And the first one is that God speaks today. When faced with all of these things, the word of the Lord came through the prophets Haggai and Zechariah and said, keep building Zerubbabel, keep going. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Church, God's spirit remains in your midst today. And he's speaking. He's speaking. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his word. Your Bible, what a great encouragement from Josh Capon earlier. Uh, a teenager, one of our youth who's out now, just in love with the word of God. How great is that? And he's, he can speak through his word to you Anytime you open it up, because it's a living and active book. So open the Bible and you'll receive from God. God speaks through his Holy Spirit. He's been doing that in the meeting today. Maybe he's speaking to you right now. Maybe you're just feeling a prompting about certain things. If you've not heard from the Spirit before, perhaps you just need to just listen to, it's almost like a, a gut feeling, an unprompted thought that's come in from nowhere and you just feel like, yeah, no, I I do need to respond to that. That could be the Spirit speaking to you right now. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you and uh, he's made his power accessible to you. So you can listen to God even right now. He speaks through people, uh, particularly people he places in leadership in the church. Next week uh, and the week after, we're going to be having two uh, morning sessions where we're going to hear about the vision for King's Church. Um, now, we don't believe that our, our elders are infallible, that everything they say is law. But what I do know is that they hold, they carry the responsibility for this church and they come before God on their knees in prayer saying, where next, God? 
And now, as, as Dan shares the vision that they have for where God is taking this church, it might be different. It might be unfamiliar. I, I don't know. I've, I've not read his notes. It, it, it could be. But whatever it is, it's going to be moving because God's church is not stagnant, it's dynamic, and it's going somewhere. And a nostalgist would listen to a vision preach and think, I wish we could go back to the old ways. As a rubber bell would listen to a talk about the vision for this church and say, yes, I'm on board with that. So can I encourage you when you hear that, that uh, the vision preaches over the next couple of weeks, pray about it, respond to it, think, how can I get involved with what God is doing through this church? He spoke through one of the elders uh, just now when we were hearing about this call to welcome in the students next week. A nostalgist would look at students and think, oh, well, I mean, it was different when I was a student. As a rubber bell would be like, these guys are the future of the church. They are future oaks of righteousness. They're future elders and worship leaders and small group leaders. And I want to be a part of their journey to becoming oaks of righteousness. And you can get involved in that. You can be a part of their journey. God is speaking today. We need to respond faithfully and obediently. And that will keep us from stopping the progress of the kingdom building. It'll stop us from going stagnant. Maybe God has spoken to you even today about picking up an old dream he gave you once and starting to work on it once more. Are you going to respond to that? He's speaking. Let those who have ears hear. Encouragement two, God does the work. I think one of the most important things that God said to the to Zerubbabel came through Zechariah, who said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. He's one of these Old Testament figures that was given the Holy Spirit of God. But we know from another Old Testament prophet that a day was going to come when he would pour out his spirit on all people. On all people. And that has come because when Jesus was glorified, he left us his spirit. He left us his spirit. And so we have access to the same power. I think Zerubbabel would have given up if he didn't have the spirit. Because everything was against him. But the spirit of God was at work in him and he was able to take a step of faith to pick up the next stone in the temple and lay it down in the face of all of that opposition. It's how he did it. It's by the Holy Spirit. And that is available to you. And what am I talking about when I'm talking about the building of kingdom of God today? It's not about building a physical temple because the Bible says that we, the church, are the temple of God. Why? Because his presence lives in us. The people of God are defined by the presence of God. Zerubbabel was building a physical temple. We're building one out of his people, living stones, the Bible says. We're the stones in the temple. And anytime someone else is added to the kingdom, that's another stone to the temple. Anytime someone gives their life to Jesus, another stone to the temple. And that's what we've been called to do. We've been called to build his temple. We've been called to build his kingdom. And we're doing it through people. And that's, that's, that's impossible by our might or by our power. But by the Spirit, we can be empowered to share the gospel with those who desperately need it. By his Spirit, we can go and pray for someone to be healed. And God can do it. He's doing it through his people, but he is the one doing it. There are two types of people I want to speak to specifically here. The first are people who haven't given their lives to Jesus yet. 
You, you're here, you're sitting here, this all sounds strange to you. You know that you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. You can be a part of this kingdom of God. It's a place where you will be known, you'll be loved, and you'll be a part of his incredible, ever-growing temple. You can be added to the kingdom. You can have the Holy Spirit, part of God himself, living in you. It's at once simple and intimidating to do this. It's simple because all you have to do is come to God in repentance and say, God, I need your forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. And thank you that he rose again so that I could have eternal life. I want to live for you. So that's the simple part. The intimidating part is that it, it, it does come with a cost. You're going to leave your old life behind and you're going to live for something other than yourself. Until now, you probably have been living for yourself. God is calling you to live for him. But I can promise you that his ways for you are good. That being a part of this temple is good. And he has plans for you. Plans to make you who you were meant to be. That's freely available to you today. And if you want to receive that, please, at the end of the service, just go and speak to someone in one of the red jackets to say prayer on the back. They would love to speak with you and pray with you. Or come and speak to me. I'm going to be hanging around for a bit at the end as well. I'll just be around the front. Come find me. Say, hey, I want that. And then there are the people who have heard of this Holy Spirit, but are like, I want some of that. I just, I don't quite know how. God's calling you to two things today to ask and to act. First, ask. Ask for his spirit and he'll give it to you. It's as simple as that. Again, find the prayer team at the end. This is the kind of thing they love to pray about. But act. One of the things I took away uh, from Ashburnham, which is a weekend, a, a group of about 30 of us went on last weekend with churches from all around Europe, was uh, one of the preachers said, if you want to find the spirit, go to where he has said he'll be. And the spirit has been given uh, to build the kingdom. And so uh, if you want to find the Spirit, take steps of faith that you can only do with the Spirit. You know, it's, it's not just a case of like waiting, waiting, waiting for this, for this moment. It's about saying, right, I'm going to go and pray for someone. Holy Spirit, I need you there with me. And he said he'll be there. So be a part of this kingdom building thing and say, Spirit, I can't do this without you. And God is good to give you his spirit in those moments. And encouragement three. And this, if you zoned out, this is the part I want you to listen to. Encouragement three. Zerubbabel knew that God is sovereign and he has a plan. Zerubbabel was able to act obediently in response to God's words because he knew that God had a plan. Uh, through the prophet Haggai, God said more than once, he said things like this, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. He knew that God was sovereign. He knew that he had a plan. So that was enabled him to pick up the stone and keep building the temple. And you see Artaxerxes, the king in the middle, 
he didn't stick around forever. Another king came along and said, no, I'm decreeing this is going to happen. This temple is going to be built. And there was a plan even beyond that. There was a plan uh, that, that went way beyond the Persian Empire. They fell, were taken over by the Romans. The Roman Empire, that fell. The Empire of Napoleon, that fell. The Soviet Union, that fell. The British Empire, praise the Lord, that fell. Nations rise and fall. Empires crumble. But the one thing that stays true throughout it all is that God is sovereign and he has a plan. Whatever's going on in our nation right now, who even knows? I don't know, but I know that God is sovereign and he has a plan. It's true throughout all of history. And we live in the age of the glorified Jesus, the risen Jesus who has given us his spirit. God's plan at this point was for Zerubbabel to build the temple that Jesus would come and deliver some of his most powerful messages. Zerubbabel was not the hero of the story. Jesus was. That's why it was an anticlimax, because the climax was going to come with Jesus. The rest of the story was yet to come. And now we live in that story. We live in the era of the risen Jesus. We get to benefit from the fact that he has been glorified and given us his spirit. And God is still sovereign and he still has a plan, which is to use his church to carry his presence into the rest of the world and to bring about his kingdom here on earth. Beyond that, he has a plan to bring about his kingdom once and for all, when heaven will meet earth and all his people will live with him and the woes of this earth will be a distant memory. This, friends, is the antidote to despair and to heart sickness and to apathy. God is sovereign and he has a plan. Yes, it may feel like Christianity is waning in the UK. It may feel like we've lost our status. By any metric, this country is in chaos right now. But God is sovereign and he has a plan. So ask yourself, what is God doing today? God hasn't revealed that to me. What is he doing with Britain and Scotland? I don't know. But what I do know is that in times of spiritual renewal in the past, God has broken out when the church has seemed weak. The Wesleys led a renewal throughout this country when religion seemed dead. Wilberforce ushered in abolition when the entire nation relied on slavery. The charismatic renewal that I mentioned earlier, that happened when the Holy Spirit wasn't even being talked about in this country. God is sovereign and he has a plan. At times when things seem desperate and confused and difficult, this is still true. It was true for Zerubbabel and it is true for us here today. We, the church, are part of that plan. God's kingdom is one of hope for hopeless people, justice for the voiceless and the oppressed, peace to those with anxiety and despair. It's one that promises a bright future, not just a memory of a happy past. It's one that transcends the discouragement of time or the shifting sands of politics. It's the hope for this city, this country, and this world. And God wants you to give everything for this plan, to live for Jesus, to be a carrier of his presence and his power to the rest of the city. God is building his kingdom. Are you on board?